Okay, everyone. Good evening. It's late at night, 10.30. Um, but tonight is the Alter Rebbe's Yard site. We study his Torah every Thursday night. How would we not learn tonight? We're starting at 10.30, not at 8.30. We're two hours late because I just got off a plane. I landed at about 9.50, uh, around 9 o'clock. Managed to get back here and ready to go. Um, was in Philadelphia for a bris of my grandson. I would like to dedicate the class in his honor. My new Menachem Mendel. May his parents, Label and Yitim, my daughter, <coughs> raise him in good health. The title of I have a lot of nachas from him. That's very, very special. So yesterday was the bris. And uh, today he's already having chasidus learnt for his sake. Also, these I mentioned last week that the next 20 Thursday night classes are all dedicated by the Berlin family. And this is in honor of Esther Basara. May Hashem bless her with abundance and brachas and the whole family with only good mazel and all the best things. Now, as those who have noticed, this channel has been quiet the whole week. Last class I gave was Saturday night, Matzah Shabbos. Um, but since then, it was quiet because I left on Monday, and then I planned maybe on doing my Monday class on Tuesday. But you know, when you travel and whatever, things don't work out exactly as you planned. So I didn't get a chance to give a class. So um, I gave some private classes, but not one on this channel. So I'm glad to be back here. And there were some people who wanted dedications this week, and I didn't get a chance to do it yet because I didn't do a class. So first over here is. Um, Mrs. Miriam Fishman, whose yard site, no, Miriam Fishman's is honor of her mother's yard site. Bas Yerachel Bas Shmuel Hirsch. Bas Yerachel Bas Shmuel Hirsch. She's dedicating the class. Uh, may her mother's neshama have the greatest aliyah. May she chant a lot of a bracha to you, Mrs. Fishman, and to your mishpacha. Children and grandchildren, much naches, much mazel, much, much happiness, much only, 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 only good things. This was a few days ago on the 22nd of Tavis. Um, actually, yesterday. That was the day of my, uh, my grandson's bris. So much, much, much uh, um, blessings to you and your mishpacha. And again, your mother's soul should have the, an awesome aliyah. Um, we also had a dedication. Uh, by the way, the way dedications work, I know sometimes it's like a few dedications in one class, but the way it works is that you get the full credit because it's like fire. Fire doesn't splinter into pieces. Get the full credit of the whole entire class. So let me find this other dedication. So one sent in. And this is... Just give me one minute, we'll find it. Here we are. First of all, I don't know who this is. No, not this one. Hold on, just give me a second. I don't know who that is as well. But, need a second. Just give me one second, please, please forgive the, the moment. 
is taking. So by Levi Schneider. Thank you, Levi. This is in honor of both his grandfathers, Ephraim ben Yehuda Leib and Chaim Yisrael ben Kasriel Moshe. Halevi. Both of them should have a great alias neshama to the greatest, greatest of height. This shir that we're learning now has enough energy to lift all the souls up. All the souls, especially on the Alter Rebbe's yard site. We're learning his Torah. It's unbelievable. Yashakayach Levi. Much bracha and mazel by you. Okay, now that we got all of that done, um, we're ready to go. Do I? Um, although I feel a little tired, I think we're going to make it. I, 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 you know, on the plane, it's good. First of all, you can prepare when you're 30, uh, 35, 38,000 feet in the air. The preparation is a little different. It's uh, the connection, the Wi-Fi up there, even though there's no physical Wi-Fi, but the spiritual Wi-Fi is very intense. So it's great. Secondly, I feel like I'm flying over the whole United States. So like getting all the energy that's there, all the sparks of holiness that have been gathered up. I feel like that's what the whole t- content of the mimer is, the lifting of the sparks of holiness. So here you get a swoop of all the f- sparks of holiness across the entire country. So that's awesome. And secondly... Um, I did get some good sleep on the plane, so that helped me. So between the preparation and the sleep, it was a great flight. And I'm ready to teach, but the Abisha should help that we should have the energy. To, we are starting late. And I'm still maybe on the East Coast time, so for me it's actually three hours later, but Shem should help. It'll all, it'll all work out. So last week we started this amazing discourse where it speaks about um, how Yaakov Avinu was... Um, missed the 17 years. There were 17 years that he had with Yosef. The passage of the Zohar, where the Zohar says, we're learning from the Sefer, let me first introduce what we're learning. We're learning from the Sefer, Biure Zohar, Parshas Vayechi. We're holding a middle of the discourse. This is part two. We won't finish the discourse tonight. It's a long discourse, but we'll hopefully make a lot of headway. And um, I don't want to, I'd rather not finish it next week. Depends on how far we go tonight. I'd rather not um, uh, uh, finish it next week, Thursday. I'd rather start something new next week, Thursday. So with Hashem's help, maybe we'll find a different evening in which we can, or morning, in which I can complete it. In any case, the initial class that this is part two of was called The Unique Blessings of the Twelve Tribes. So last week we discussed the 12 tribes in general. This week, the focus is going to be on Yosef. Yosef stands out individually. Last week's Parsha Vayechi speaks about the blessings of Yaakov. But the Mimer actually is, again, a Mimer, a discourse from the Alter Rebbe recorded by his son, Reb Dov Be'er, um, in Sefer Biyure HaZoyar. It was said in the year Tafkuf Ayin Be'ez. Wow, so this is the last year, right a year before the Alter Rebbe's passing on his yard site's time. Exactly, you know, it was Parshas Vayechi. That's right around the time of Chavdal Tevis, a week before. So this is the last. I wonder if the now Tafkuf Ayin Gimel when the Alter Rebbe was escaping Napoleon, he didn't say a mimer anymore. Parshas Vayechi, so not Vayechi Shemayi. So this is the last mimer we have from the Alter Rebbe on Parshas Vayechi, I think. And um, it is again based on the passage of the Zohar, where the Zohar says. That it says, Yaakov, Yaakov lived 
in, er- in the land of Egypt for 17 years. So the Zohar asks, why 17 years? What's the, what's the idea of the 17 years? So the Zohar says, because um, when Yaakov missed his wife, Rachel, very, very much, uh, she meant everything to him. But when ya- and she passed away young. When he, however, looked at Yosef, he saw his mother in his son. Yosef had the, the features of his mother, the beauty of his mother. And that comforted Yaakov. And um, yeah, he felt he was, he was uplifted. And he spent with Yosef 17 years. And during those 17 years, it was as if Yo- uh, his mother, Rachel, never passed away. He, was so, he felt so much her presence in her son. When Yosef was viciously ripped away from him, that caused Yaakov unbearable pain. Um, for those 22 years that he didn't have Yosef, Yaakov was in literally misery of pain and crushed. And he goes on to explain over here how Yaakov lived generally, his life was a very a life of hardship. Yaakov himself says it in Parshas Vayechi, which later in the Mimer, the Alter Rebbe dis- describes what this means. He says, Ma'at v'ro'im few and bad, it's a hard thing to say, was my were the days of my life. Um, he describes his life as a very hard life. He had a lot of hardship. But yet, um, all of this didn't, uh, nothing hurt him and, 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 and st- literally stuck a, da- a dagger in his heart like when he lost Yosef. Because that's when he felt he like lost everything. And because he was in such pain, God says to Yaakov, you know, I'm going to give you back 17 years. You're missing those 17 years that you had with you, so I'm giving you another 17 years. And Hashem gave him a 17 years full of idunin v'kisufim. The Zohar describes literally ecstasy for Yaakov during those 17 years. This mimer is discussing this intense love that Yaakov has for Yosef, and it's, it's a carryover from his love to Rachel. Now the Zohar is describing his love for Rachel, for Rachel, was because she was beautiful. The Mimer asks the question, Yaakov Avinu, the father, the patriarch of the, of the, of the Jewish people, and he's the chosen of the, of the fathers of the Jewish people, definitely was above the materialistic pleasures of life, and a, which includes also a beautiful wife. Um, there is, of course, the spiritual side of a relationship, but there's, but, and obviously spiritual beauty is reflected in physical beauty, but to make such a big deal about physical beauty is seems very superficial and external for such a great tzaddik like Yaakov. So if you say that, you know, he loved her beautiful neshama and he connected to her in a very deep way, it's one thing. But the Zohar seems to be saying that he missed her physical beauty, and which seems um, inappropriate for the high, highest, highest of, of, of spiritual giants. Um, and that he was comforted with Yosef having the appearance of his mother. Like, what does that mean? So last week we learned the idea of when Yaakov blesses his sons, his blessings to them are all, most of them compared to the various different animals. And we discussed the differences, and you have two categories. We had those that were compared to the wild beasts, and those that were compared to the um, domestic animals. So um, you find that also by Moshe blessing the Jewish people. And so, for instance, a Yisachar is compared to a donkey. 
and um, Naftali is compared to a gazelle. Yosef, not over here, but in the other parsha in uh, in Zaysa Bracha, Moshe compares him to the ox. Um, but and then you have those that are compared to the beasts, the wild beasts. Um, Yehuda is compared to a lion. Moshe compares Shevet Dun to a lion as well. Um, Yaakov compares Dun to a snake. Um, Uh, Binyamin is compared to a, a wolf. So what is the idea? So he goes on to explain how really all the animals derive their, their source, why there's such a big difference. That's why we went into a long discussion last week. Why is there such a major um, d- division between the animals of the, the wild beasts and the um, domestic animals? Domestic, and they're so different to behavior, even though sometimes you have animals that are of the same size and maybe have the same, or close to the, physically should have the same strength, yet it's a complete different style of, of, of utilizing that strength. A horse will use its strength to gallop, to run, to pull a wagon, enormous strength. A donkey pulls enormous loads. An ox takes a yoke and plows, literally brute power an immense power, but it's all in submission. Um, the lion, the tiger, the bear, uh, these are predatory animals, and they unleash their energy and their intensity, their power that they have in attacking, um, in a vicious attack against against their, uh, their prey. Um, so why is it that way? Why are they so different? So he explains because their spiritual source is very different. The wild beasts are rooted in the supernal lion in the chariot. Everything in the physical has its its nature, its characteristics in the in the in the field in the physical is derived from the spiritual source. Source of the lion is on the right side of the chariot, which is the lion of the chariot. And the source of the all the domestic animals, farm animals, are in the left side of the chariot, where the ox and which represent the two archangels, Michael and Gabriel, Michael and Gabriel. These are the two forces, two opposite forces. One is the force of passion, and the other one is the force of, of fear and submission. So therefore, the animals that come from the left side are in a, utilize their power in a very strong, in a submissive manner. The animals on the right side utilize their power in passion. It's their passion, it's their... He asked the question, why then are they such killers, especially if they come from the right, which the right side is kindness. Why do they exhibit such um, killer tendencies, such vicious, such cruelty? So he explains how there is a certain exchange, a crossover, um, even though the right side is generally con- com- connected to water, but since there's in holiness everything is blended, that's part of the topic we're going to be learning about today, Things are integrated one with the other, so the water of holiness contains fire in it as well. And that's called Gevura Shebechesed. So it's the intensity of kindness. There's kindness, which is love, and it's the intensity of love. And that's what we have the angels above, in which they fire up, they flare up with this intense, fiery passion to cleave to God. And he also added that it's primarily provoked by the opposite. When you have something blocking, like he brings over here the idea what the Zohar says, never get between the lion and the lioness. When there is something that's interfering in this, in this, uh, in the lion's world or in the, this, then they, they have to overcome. 
they're provoked by the opposite. So as it makes its way down here into the physical, it becomes a gavuridiga animal, even though it comes from chesed, but it's the fire element. And that we discussed that last week, excuse me, and the idea that we see that the children of Abraham, he brings, which seem to be the Ashkenazic Jews, they derive their energy more from Avram Avinu. Um, they are planted in the exile of the klipa of corresponding to Yitzchak, which is on the left side, which is Esav, to fix Esav. And the descendants of um, Isaac, which are the Sephardic Jews, so says the Zohar, uh, which they are spread out in the Arabic countries, dealing with the klipa that is derived and connected to Abraham, to Avraham, which is Yishmael, and to fix Yishmael. And these are the, and even though we would think each one should hang out with their own klipa, but it doesn't work that way, because a lot of times what, who you are and what you are is not so visible in your, in your, in your life. What's more noticed is the opposite strength that's in addition to who you are. It's, so those whose soul is an essence, a soul of kindness, you notice more their severity. As we gave the example last week, that on a blackboard you notice white chalk, and on a whiteboard you notice black ink. It's the opposite. And that's the idea in general, as it applies to all the beasts that he explains, is that there are two methods, two forces, that are all about um, working the world and making the world a godlier place, elevating sparks of holiness. He calls it the general avoda of Birurim. It's the task of the 12 tribes of Israel. Like we see this week in the parish, these are the names of the Jewish people that are coming into Egypt. Egypt represents the source for all the other exiles, which really entails all the 70 nations. And our work is to make our way through the 70 nations and elevate all the sparks of holiness. And the different animals that there are represent different methods in this rectification, different methods in this purification. Um, there are those who do it through passion and fervor in their service of God. And they utilize the objects of the world more like sacrifices where you take an animal and you lift it up into your, into, onto the fire of the altar. And spiritually it represents creating a fire of passion during prayer. And you elevate all the food that you ate and all the encounters that you had in the last 24 hours or since the last time you prayed, which are all connecting to all these elements of the world that now become, get, get, get burnt up in the calories, in, this, in, this, in, this, in this, these calories get burnt up in the, in the feverish excitement towards God that represents the service of, the, of Yehuda and Binyamin and all these, it's that kind of a service. And the ones on the left side, which represent more servitude, Yisachar, for example, purifies the world through an act of, of through Torah study. And, but it's all an impact on the world. Um, and the other, other tribes, he says each tribe has its impact and its effect on, on, on this rectification within creation itself, purifying, making the world ready for godly revelation when Mashiach comes. And that's called the work of rectification of sparks, in general, it's in two categories, right and left, but then you have all the various different blends which represent all the Shvatim. That's the idea. The question at the beginning of the Mimer was that you see that Yosef is different than all the tribes. Yaakov leaves Yosef all the way for the end, end, end of the blessings. 
And he's going to now explain, that's what we're holding, why Yosef is separated. In Yaakov's blessing, he's not compared to an animal. And he seems to be above this, this work, as he's going to explain, of getting one's hands dirty and rectifying the world. Because Yosef is a different level soul. He has his work. Where all the other tribes end their work, Yosef starts and he begins. He takes their, their, their fruit of their labors and he elevates it to a whole new level, much, much higher. That's where we're holding. I don't want to, this was just a little synopsis of what we learned. And now we're holding over here, again on page I and Dalid. Um, I'm going to start again. I think we learned this last little passage, Ach, but we're going to read it again just. It says over here, page I and Dalid, Biyuri Azoya, Parshish Vayechi, Achine. Oh, the mimer is Shva Esreshnin, 17 years. That's the mimer. So let's go. However, all these rectifications of the tribes, is only a level of lifting up the separate, disconnected materials of the world, which are in a state of yesh. Yesh means they are in a state of selfhood and, and, and self-absorption and not recognizing God, not surrender to Hashem. And when a Jew comes into contact with something, he needs to make it submissive to, to God. You make even the materials of the world, you, you make them submissive by utilizing them in godly service. It's like interesting, I always feel it very strongly, when a Jew buys a utensil, one of the things he needs to do, before you can use it, any utensil that's gonna come into direct contact with food, we have to, we have to uh, dip it in, in plastic, you don't do like for a plastic cup, you don't do, but if it's uh, more of a more, because you use it to one-time usage, but if you use it um, for, for uh, you know, it's a per, not permanent, but you know, for a duration of time, then we take it to the mikvah and you dip it and you submerge it in the mikvah. And what's that? That's such a demonstration of what we're learning over here. When you toivel something, when you dip something in the mikvah, in the water, it represents the word tefillah is the same word as habitl. You're lifting it up. It's a designation that this object is going to be utilized in, re in submission to God's will. It's not going to serve me. It's not serving my kitchen. It's not just doing, you know, just filling my stomach. But it's within the context of preparing food. And that food is, has a, 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 a godly purpose to it in the sense that it will, the food will translate into energy and that energy is going to be directed towards a godly, um, some, something of God's will in this world. Either a, a passion towards God or a, uh, an energy of Torah study that's transmitting godliness into this world or a mitzvah or, or the like. So that's the job of all the tribes, he says. Abirudim dashvatim, all of them, various different ways in which they operate, but the sum totality of it is, is it's to elevate something and bring it to a state of submission. From it originally being in a state of disconnect and separation. From lepchines hayichud, and you're bringing it into the unity. Our work as the Jewish people is to envelop the entire existence, the sum totality of all of existence into the unity of God. That every weir should be part of, should be in, included in the unity. Nothing should stick out. 
Everything should be under the blanket of unity of God. And we do it piece by piece. And we scatter it all over the world, nation after nation. Like the song goes, nation after nation, we are conquering. The conquest is a conquest, a spiritual conquest, to make every corner of the world aware and conscious of the divine, which is going to happen the moment the lights turn on at the coming of Mashiach. But we do the purification now. Like we find by Yehuda, it says, Yaakov's blessing to Yehuda, Yotcha, your hand, is in the neck of your enemy. That means you're grabbing your enemy by the neck and you're pulling him in from being outside. You're subduing his anti-godliness and making him submissive to Hashem. Which is to subdue who's the enemy, the other side, the anti-god. So by the powers of the, those who are from the tribes of Yehuda, for some reason their method of purification and elevation is to grab the enemy by the neck. That's their, that's their power. The staff of rulership will not depart from Yehuda. And then what does it say? For what purpose? So that it can reign in the nations. That's talking about Mashiach, the Messiah. What is he going to do? He's going to reign in the nations. And to him the, na- the nations will gather. This is the um, the bitter uh, purification from the world of separation of the nations, from the initial state of the separate of the nations. The four exiles represent the four corners of the world. Each one is separated and it's disconnect from unity. And uh, now we have to unify them all. The Amim Anfin Mispardim, these are branches that are separated as they are originally unfold in the world. They're not acknowledging the unity. Our job is to bring them all together. And to elevate them. To bring everybody into the unity, the Kedusha Elikus of the godly holiness. Everything should be included in holiness. So that's Yehuda, but it's every tribe. And the same is in every tribe. When Yaakov gave the blessing, he gave them the, the direction and the success of what particular work they need to do in accordance to the quality of their soul. If you take a look at the blessing, you see that in it, you see that this is the idea. It's all what's being mentioned is the work of each particular tribe within the world by doing what? Taking things from its separate state and unifying them into the unity. Likolel, to become unified and into the nothingness, which means the divine is called nothing because it's not defined by any definitions. So you're taking every, but, but it's the source of everything and it's the power of everything. So therefore the something has to acknowledge the nothingness, which is Hashem, and by acknowledging it, it's being included in the unity. That's called rectification. That's called purification. For instance, the example we gave by Yisachar was compared to a donkey. Here too, it doesn't, which generally means he accepts the yoke of Torah learning. But not just Torah learning for the sake of learning Torah and knowing God's will. Torah learning for the sake of the Torah doing a purification in the world. As it says by Yisachar, by, the, by this donkey from Shevet Yisachar, Roivetz, that he lies down between the borders, 
the idea between city and city, but the idea is that he he separates. You know, what's good goes into holiness. What is not good gets rejected. That's what Torah law does. It it it's 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 it very much clarifies, and the the clarification is part of this work. You can't bring everything, things that God doesn't like. You can't bring into the unity. God says, I explicitly don't like that, doesn't express my unity. So these are things that need to be rejected. How do you know what God likes and what he doesn't like? The Torah. The Torah scholar comes along and by the ways of the, God instructed us how to expound on the Torah, you get clarity. This is okay, this is not okay. This is approved, this is not approved. So that's how we cause the separation. And the blessings of Moshe you also find the emphasis on all these blessings is, is an hour work in, 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 in rectification of, of, of the world, including slaying the evil, the evil dark elements. So you find by the blessings of Moshe, Amar al-God, he speaks about the tribe of God, the Torah of Zroya of Kutkut, that the tribe of God had a special quality physically. When they would go to war, they were incredible warriors. When they would go to war, uh, you can tell those that were killed by the warriors of the tribe of, of God that they would take their sword and give such a slice that they would slice off the head. I mean, it's very gory. Just listen to this. Together with the arm in one, in one shot. It was like a, a crooked, a, a slanty cut. And what spiritually that obviously refers to the spiritual battle, that they would cut the head of the other side of the forces of darkness with their power of action in one shot. Didn't have to do two blows. It was one. But you see, it's again, it's referring to the confrontation with the other side. And by Zvulun it says that he blesses, uh, again, Moshe, it's not talking about Yaakov's blessings, but Moshe's blessings in the, in, in the end of the Torah. It says, Amim Har Yikro, speaks about Zvulun being a merchant, living by the seaports, and bringing the nations of the world in when they come to do business with him, he brings them to the mountain, which means he brings them to Yerushalayim, to Jerusalem, so that they can come to recognize God. Kishefa yamim yanaku, because the 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 um, shefa, the um, the influence of the of the seas, yanaku, they will nurse, because they will bring in the merchandise from far away. That's an, that's part of this idea of elevating sparks. And those who live by the seaport don't just elevate sparks from close area. They're the ones who reach to faraway lands in which the distant stuff come in. So that has a, has a certain quality that you can bring in even stuff from far places like today's days we find before Mashiach comes. I mean, today the Rebbe said we finished already, but we find it's the first time that we have a, a world where everything is imported. Um, there is so much import. There's so much from the Far East, from all the different places, so that Jews, even though God had mercy on us, instead of having to scatter the Jews everywhere and in every place so that we can reach everything, he started making everything made in China, made it so we don't have to go there. Few Jews gone there, but not 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 for what you would think would be necessary to rectify all of these major Asian countries. Not many Jews went there, but it gets elevated because we use the products from there, and all of that became uh, uh, sublimated, elevated. Another thing is that he brings over here. It says Kishefa Yamim Yanaku. The the influence and the uh, the flow from the sea they take is talking about a specific fish that was in the tribe of Zvulun. They were the fishermen would pull it out. And that is the Chilazin fish, which we know was would produce 
the tcheles, the, the blue dye that is used on the fringes, on the tzitzis. Shetzeveya tcheles, which one is tzoveya, one um, dyes the tcheles, which we know that the power of tcheles is to zap the eclipse. The reason we wear the tzitzis on the four corners and there's one string of tcheles is that and when the chitzonim, when the forces of, of the unholy are trying to get to a Jew because they want to steal energy from him and they want to get him to sin or whatever it is, when they get a little too close, they see the, the blue. Today's days, we don't wear it but because we don't know what they are besides some people. Today's days are rediscovering tcheles, but in Chabad, at least, there is a, a custom that it won't be here until Mashiach is here. But in any case, the tcheles is something that burns the eyes of the unholy. They can't look at it. It has a certain holiness because it reminds them of God, and therefore, it uh, they 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 stay at a distance. So that's all you see. It's all again. So Zvulin has that power again of dealing with the other side, with the dark side. It blinds the eyes of the outside forces. Now this idea that Yaakov is giving them, laying out their work of what they are going to do regarding all. All of the 70 nations, you see that Yaakov tells them, right on his deathbed, what does he say to them? Osfu, gather together, and I will relate to you, that which will occur to you, in the end of days. Meaning to say, he's saying, I'm giving you now everything that you're going to be doing for all of the history, world history, the Jewish people, scattered amongst the diaspora across the entire world, until the end of days, when you finish the work, and then you're going to be elevated, bring back all the riches and all the spoils, which are all these sparks of holiness that have been elevated. Which this represents these sparks of holiness, these purifications. The ayin sarim, which are taken from the 70 nations, which are rooted in the 70 ministering angels, because these 70 ministering angels are the power of the 70 nations. And these 70 ministering angels are very, very powerful beings. And they have sparks of holiness in their belly, and they have to be elevated. Kol which is something that is done throughout all of history, which spans both the time when the Jewish people lived in the land of Israel. Even then, this battle was waging. We were waging it from our territory, but the influence was influencing the entire world, like we spoke earlier. The merchants would come from far and far and wide, do business with the with the Jews in Israel, and through that, they would bring them up to and you know and bring them to godly awareness, but also primarily and all the times of the exile. Until we reach to the conclusion of all, of all of it, which is the days of Mashiach, as it is known. So this is all the work of all the tribes. But when it comes to the blessing of Joseph, of Yosef, Yaakov does not mention this work of purification that has to do with struggling with the dark side, with the outside things, because Yosef is not out there. Yosef's work is not um, in the war zone. He's not out fighting the battles with the unholy. He rules, but he's ruling from a place of holiness. In other words, he doesn't have to go into the trenches, because his soul is not a trench soul. His soul is above it all, as we're going to see. He said, Yosef is a son of Poras. What does that mean? Simply, it's translated, Rashi says, a son of charm. That means he represents a certain godly charm, a godly revelation. He's a channel for godly light down. 
And therefore now he, the, he says in the parentheses over here that the word poras, you rearrange those letters, you get the word oisi tofer. Also comes from the word, he is the one who sows. Now what is a, it means he's a tailor. <laughs> in the sense that he's a tailor, what are you tailoring? When you're tailoring something, you're sowing something. You're taking two separate entities that until now were two, turning them into one. So what is Yosef doing? Yosef is the one that is causing the general connection between the divine and the world, between the infinite and the finite. In other words, the rest of the tribes are doing the preparation work. You know, before godliness can actually manifest and channel through and be actualized in all elements of creation, you first have to separate the bad stuff. And then, like before you make something worthy for the king to utilize it as utensils, you have to remove, make sure it's clean. If there's any dirt on it, you can't serve it for the king. Once the king is going to use it, he's going to use it as an instrument to, you know, to, for, the, for, for, for himself and to express himself. But first it needs to be, you know, polished and clean. You're bringing, you know, the king plays music on a, like King David's played on a, on a harp. So before they brought the harp to King David, they had the guy polishing it, removing even a tiny speck of dust because if it has any bit of whatever, it's not, it's not can't go before the king. Once the king plays, <laughs> it's King David's song, Psalms, revealing godliness in this world. Yosef is already the godly revelation of godliness channel down connecting to all the elements that have been rectified by that's why he's called the tailor because he actually makes the connection between the infinite their work even though we said before is to bring things to the unity it's to separate what the junk the muck that is that is that is blocking the unity and making conditioning everything to surrender to bend itself over like we spoke earlier so that when Yosef comes, he can infuse godliness into it. But until Yosef doesn't come, their work is only preparation for the revelation of the king in their work. So that's why Yosef is called Tofer. He's the one who makes the actual connection, as we're soon going to see. He's also, the word Tofer, uh, or Pores, is also if you rearrange it in a different order, you get the word Poser. Poser means he is the, um, the interpreter. He interprets mysteries. He interprets the dreams. So what does that mean? So this is also, now, interpreting something is also clarification. It's a clarification. Just like we said, all the other tribes are busy with clarifying. There's a mess. You have to clarify. But you see the difference is like this. The mess that's there amongst the other tribes is a mess from good and bad. And they have to separate good and bad. Yosef's work and clarification is not between good and bad. It's just to clarify a mix-up when things are confused. So, for example, there's a dream. Not necessarily, not necessarily that there's anything bad in the dream. Even though the sages say that there isn't a dream that doesn't have any lie or any foolishness in it. Every dream has some bit of narishkeit. But the idea of interpreter is not so much that, but rather to, there's a mumble-jumble of a bunch of things that mean something. But when you're you're not really, you don't have clarity in it. You have to organize the letters of the dream and get a clear message. Now, our entire time that we're in exile, we're called dreamers. The long exile is a dream. That means that all the work that we're doing, you know, we're, 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 we're accomplishing massive things. And, and how are we accomplishing it? Through every conversation, 
every action, everything we do in all of our community interactions and all the work that we do with the outside world, all that conversation and all that interactions and all that is all this purification, good from bad, and send up words, letters. And when we look back, we see just, you know, confusing. What's, what's my life story? We don't know what the, we don't know what the interpretation of it is. We know, we, we can see the various different moments of triumph, moments of clarity, moments of where we did the right things, moments that we slip and we fall. But then you need someone who, after, imagine a life is completed, someone who comes and interprets the life. In other words, takes all these mumble-jumble of a bunch of events and gives the, 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 the definition of this life. What was the, what, what's the sum totality? What does this represent? What, what, what godly feature was projected through this human being? Their, through their saga of their life. What, what, what's the, what? And then you see the whole thing, you say, ah, until now it was a dream, I was confused, I didn't know what it was. Like after Mashiach will come, we'll, when Yosef will come and interpret the whole entire exile, and we'll see exactly, it's a magnificent puzzle, how every single event of every single person amongst these billions of little details all come together to this magnificent uh, presentation, which is all part we said earlier, of the godly light taking hold in everything that we do, and that's when it will all come alive. I think that's what he means over here. That's the way I'm understanding it. That the others are more involved in the dirty work, if you can say, in the mining of the gold, and here it's to take all these pieces and put together into this one magnificent edifice. Levarera oisius bismana golos, to do a beer in the, in, the, in, the, in the letters, the letters of the words, of exile, which is compared to a dream, which the exile is called a dream, to interpret the exile. Imagine getting that insight from Yosef. The insight of what the whole exile meant and all the trials and tribulations, falls and, and, and it'll be incredible. But this is called a second purification. The good and bad stuff we've already separated through our struggles and through our choices of good and bad. Even if we don't have a clear picture of what we're doing, we're doing it. You know, the miners who are down in the mines pulling out the gold don't know what their pieces of gold that they're pulling out, how this is all going to come together in this magnificent crown that they're creating for the king or in this magnificent uh, other... Uh, whatever they're doing with this gold, they don't know. They're bringing pieces. This won't be. But after it's all put together, and then, then each one has an understanding of what his particular part contributed. A particular stone that he brought forth, precious gems, this, that, where it belonged, all that, that's called birusheni. It's already a second rectification. That which has already been elevated during the time of exile through the individual tribes, the which is called the time of sleep, which is a dream. And all of that, Yosef tops it off. That's the point. And therefore he concludes, Yaakov, all of this should be to the head of Joseph, and to the skull, Nazir Echov, the one who separated from his brothers. That Yosef is called the head, Nazir Echov, separated apart from his brothers. And the explanation of the matter is like this. The root of Yosef is that he is a head 
and a skull for his brothers. Just like a head, that includes all the limbs. The head is the source of all the limbs, because everything is included in the head, but yet it is way above the rest of the limbs. And the same as Joseph. He includes all of his brothers, and yet he is way above them. His inclusion of them not, is not on their level, but on, a, on, a, on, a, on many, many levels above them, he includes them all. And therefore, he's a far more powerful neshama soul than all of them. And they all have to come on to him. That's why they have to bow down to him. By way, it has been explained elsewhere. Which will understand by the dream of Yosef. In which he relates to his brothers. And what does he tell them? That they're all sheaving sheaves in the midst of the field. They're all bundling bundles in the field of grain. And his sheave stood up, and then all of theirs surrounded his sheave, and they bowed down to it. And this was supposed to be a sign for his kingship. Your sheaves have surrounded mine, and they bowed down to my sheave. By way of analogy, the bundles that are made in the field. So let's see, first, let's, by this story, before they bowing down to Yosef, let's see what the other tribes are doing. What are they doing? They're sheaving sheaves. What does that mean? What are you doing? You're taking individual stalks of grain that are scattered on the ground, and each one for their, for their own. As you put them, bring them all together, and you tie a string around them. And by doing that, you turn it into one bundle. And the reason why the tribes are busy doing that is because that's really what the Jewish people are busy doing, scattered all over the entire world. We're on this great big scattering, oh, I'm sorry, um, um, collection hunt, so to speak, in which there's all the substances in the world, materials of the world, each one has a spark of holiness in it. And they're all separated. Each one is not connected to the other entity because everything is living for itself. And when we reveal the source in all of it, then we reveal the intrinsic oneness. That means making a bundle. So we can see it as a human life, at the end of a human life, they have a huge bundle in which they've gathered. And if they lived for a higher purpose, in general, the direction of their life was to serve God, then all these random activities and actions, like every time they ate lunch, and every time they slept, wherever it was, I traveled now, I slept in a bed I haven't slept on, I slept in a hotel, so good. So that pillow and that and that blanket and that uh, that thing was now used by a Jew. I got some sleep. Now I can teach a class. Didn't actually didn't sleep too well, <laughs> but whatever it is, now I can teach a class. So that rest and that pillow is now, which is in the middle of a chaveh Marriott somewhere. Uh, which again, I, I would have never gone there just because it was the closest hotel I was able to find to where my daughter is and the, she had the baby and the, you know no place in the house. So I stayed there, okay, so, so that's, a, that, that's picking up something, and going into stores, stopping in a gas station, picking up gas for the car. It's all part, it's all part of that unity, collecting entities that, and again, in a place in the world that I have not really hung out and gone down streets I haven't gone down, seen, you know, went shopping, I said, shopping in stores I haven't gone. That's uh, all. Needed to run because they needed to make the bris meal. They needed the mole. They needed a good firm pillow. I had to run into a target, find a, find a firm pillow. Why this target? Why this pillow? 
all divinely ordained. That's the pillow that needed to be elevated through the circumcision, which reveals God's unity. Dafka for this baby at this moment. There's all the mysteries of the divine. But that means sheaving sheaves. As we, the end of our life, we have a huge bundle. And the truth is, at the end of every night when you go to sleep, you have your bundle of what sparks from the food you ate, from the people you met, conversations you had, interactions with people, objects, whatever they are, it's all a bundle. And when you say at night before the, you go to sleep, Hear, O Israel, God is one. So you have elevated all that you tie the knot around it. And now it gets, you know, you can't see it on the outside what kind of impact you made on the world, but you made a huge impact on the world. That's why the 12 tribes are in the field sheaving sheaves. So what is that? And that's what he explains over here. You take the sheaves and the that each one is separated. And you attach them. And you tie them together. And they become one bundle. as it is done. This is the idea of this, of this selection and purification. The nitsutsis of sparks of holiness that became scattered amongst the 70 ministering angels. That's the source, the spiritual source. And from there it goes down into the constellations. From the constellations it gets down into the galaxies. From the galaxy, finally it gets down into the literal physical world, into all the physical items. And But until the Jew comes along and pronounces God's name, it doesn't seem to have anything related to one creator, singular source. It exists in a world of separation. Uh, branches that are separated in each direction. In which we purify them. And we bond them. That they should all come together in unity. Which is the idea is like you're bringing something from the public domain into a private domain. It's exactly what you're doing. Until now it was public property. Now it becomes God's sacred property because you pronounce God's name on it. Which is in, in, in the Zohar terminology, the Zohar refers to the unholy as mountains of separations. Which is called the public domain. In which you're bringing it into a state of to a state of um, godly unity. Which is called the private domain as it is known. And this is what it says, Yosef has the dream. Because as we said before, the workers, the miners themselves, don't necessarily realize what they're doing. They don't realize the, the, the greater picture. But Yosef, who is the one on top, and he is, the, he is their head, he recognizes the task of the limbs, what each one is doing. That's why in his dream, he sees what they're doing. That their lives are all about sheaving sheaves. In the field. Because whatever happened to our forefathers, including the tribes, is a sign for the children. To the generations that are that come forth from them. So therefore, whatever they did is the microscopic for whatever is going to later unfold in, in a much greater, more you know, expressed state as it's going to. They're like the seeds of everything. Is what's going to happen in all the exiles until the days of Mashiach. Because the Jewish people select sparks from the nations of the world. And these are called bundles, as we said earlier. And it was shown to Yosef because Yosef is their head. 
B'cholam in the dream, Masha'asidim levadir kol shevet v'shevet. This, that they're going to do a beer and purification every tribe. Kefim adregosoy, everyone according to their level. Kineskel, as we said earlier. V'zeo, and this is the meaning of inen nachno ma'almem alumim. We are sheaving sheaves, b'toy chasada, in the field. Now, why are they doing it in the field? So we know like this, that... Um, the all of creation that's been discussed many times is only coming from a certain construct that God kind of creates in which there's this like the space where all of the theater of, of the theatrics of all of history, time and space play itself out within this in this in this space, which is the space the space of Malchus. Because only through when Hashem is filtering His light through the through the prism or through the uh, filter of the of the uh, it's all the ten sefirot, but the final sphere called Malchus, where God is kind of assuming the role of a king, and therefore that calls for subjects, and the world and all its inhabitants are the subjects. Um, outside of that game, so to speak, outside of that dimension. Creation doesn't exist. Everything is God. There's nothing but Him. Couldn't possibly be anything that has a, even some sort of a sense of existence other than God. It's only because Hashem channels His energy through Malchus. Malchus demands, Malchus means kingship. He wants to be a king. As the energy flows through Malchus, it takes on the properties of not being everything, to leave room for something other to exist. And that's where creation happens. So this whole selection process of good and bad, taking things out from the mountains of darkness and bringing them into the unity can only be in the arena. Let's see, because you play football only within the stadium. You play this whole game of creation within the stadium of Malchus. Now Malchus in Kabbalah, and we find a lot of times Malchus is referred to as the field. We say, everybody familiar, the apple orchard, which means the field of the apples. Malchus is called the field. So that's why when you're bundling bundles, it's within and under this under the screen of Malchus. The reason why the forefathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, were not doing this work of lifting sparks and so on and so forth, as we're going to see soon, they were not within, they were not living in the hemisphere, in the stadium of Malchus. They were living in, even though they were physical beings in this world, but their consciousness was one of, of, of a beyond Malchus of total oneness with God, and therefore to them, everything in the world was just, was, was just Hashem. To them, it wasn't like there were things that were other and the, the way we experience the physical. We experience the physical as things, as stuff. To them, everything was just a, a form of energy expressing the divine. They didn't see it from, it's only when you're wearing that, those glasses and you're, you're perceiving reality through Malchus is when you're perceiving the darkness and there has to be separation. The tribes, the 12 tribes, they were on a much lower level than their father, as we're going to see over here. And therefore, they were in the constricted zone of Malchus. To them, there was good and evil and the whole fight. Um, and they had to separate the sparks of holiness. And that's the meaning why Yosef is telling them, you're in the field. And over there is where you're sheathing the sheaves to bring them from its fragmented, disconnected state into the unity. In the field, in the supernal field. What's that? That's the holy field. The field that God has blessed, which is the apple orchard. 
because all the work of this birudim, of this rectification and separation between good and bad, of these sheaves, Hanal, we mentioned earlier, it's all within Malchus. It's all within the zone of Malchus that is um, that Malchus itself is still, is still an attribute of Atzilus. Yeah, Malchus is still in the world of emanation, but in the world of emanation, there's no good and bad yet. In the world of emanation, everything is still in a state of unification. Malchus is an attribute in the world of emanation, but Malchus descends lower passes on the energy to the low to the next three worlds where there is where there is the separation and the sparks of holiness and this whole process as he says over here that hides hiding meaning it hides she hides her deeper truth in which she knows there's none but him but she doesn't live and express that truth instead she projects a a, 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 I don't want to call it an illusion, it's not an illusion because in terms of Malchus it's real, that what? That there is a creation and the things other than God because that's its kingdom and over there there will be this, the, the good guys and the bad guys and the mixture of good and evil and everything has to be separated and all that work. As he says, Shemuster, it gets concealed Bebriya in the world of Bria, Shenikrasada, which is called, which this power of Malchus is called the field. That's why where are you doing the work in the, in, in the energy of Malchus as it's descending already to become a source in the three lower worlds of Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya, which in this level is called Sada field. And this is the way of analogy, Now, in reality, it's also that way. Where do you sheave sheaves in a field? But the reason it is that way physically is that too is derived because that's the way it is in the spiritual dynamics of things. Ah, however, now he's going to, in the next chapter, he's going to explain to us in the next paragraph um, the limitation of their work. Notwithstanding the fact that they're elevating these sparks, but there's a ceiling. They certainly cap, cap out at a certain point. They can elevate the spark and can elevate the object to a certain level and not higher. And for there, they need Yosef to descend and completely absorb it into holiness. Ah, Yosef but the work that Yosef did, that Yosef purified, was on a much higher level, and separated completely on a, on a, on a, on a incomparably above them, from their whole level of rectifications and purifications and selection process of what his brothers, the other tribes, were doing. What is the meaning? My bundle stands up. And then the, the bundles, the sheaves of all the tribes. They bow down in a manner of bittel and surrender, in a manner of bending and surrendering themselves from something to nothing is what we are there. When you bow, you're turning yourself into not such an important entity. Like this, when you're standing upright, you're, you're the center of, of your at least your own attention. You think everybody else's attention, but really it's your own attention. But you're very important in your own eyes. When you bow, you're showing that no, you're submissive to something much bigger than you, and that's called bittul ayesh la ayin to nothing la alumas yosef to yosef's bundle. Why the Indian who have ideas as follows: the yosef do what is known. 
the root, the spiritual source of the tribes, is They're lower than the forefathers, the patriarchs. Patriarch spiritual source was in Atsilus. They're called Neshamas of Atsilus, Neshamas of the world of emanation. And therefore their, their souls, their consciousness, was a consciousness still of the world of Atsilus, as I mentioned earlier, a place where there was only God. Um, the, but the tribes, their spiritual soul source was lower. And already in a world where creation already is real, where there is already a, a certain um, blockage on God's exclusivity, the creation already feels itself as something, very, very subtle, of course, because it's a very, very sublime level. And therefore, all the creatures that inhabit or that are merit to have the consciousness of the world of Bria are in a very heightened state of connection to Hashem. And therefore, the level of spirituality of the tribes, of the 12 sons of Jacob, of Yaakov, is a very, very high level. And every moment of their life, they're thinking about God. But yet, they still feel themselves a little bit. There is something that has to surrender to Hashem. In the world of creation, like the face of the lion, as we spoke earlier, which is already an angelic being that has a self. And what's their work? What does their work entail? It's to take all the things around them and to infuse this bittel into them. Um, to take the, the yash, the, the, the stuff of the material world, that hanifrad, that feels itself completely apart from Hashem, and and surrender it to the oneness. As we said earlier, is to bring everything in from the public domain into the private domain. Private over here means the singular domain of God. And even the, and that's obviously what they were doing in the external part. They were, they were out here in the world, affecting the world with their sheep, with their, they were all shepherds. They were involved with the stuff of the world. And even the work that they did on a much deeper spiritual level which happens in the inner realms of the world of, of creation, where do we see there's work over there that Kemosha Amru, the sages say, Michael, that the archangel Michael, Makriv, Neshame Sagaba Mizbeach, is offering up souls on these, on these spiritual altar. There's, a, there's like there's a temple over here with an altar. There's a temple on the higher realms and with an altar over there. What's offered on the altar? Souls. And, the, and Malach Michal brings these souls and he, so to speak, has them consumed in the heavenly fire. Uh, and the like, but he says, even this deep type of, and what means when you burn something on a fire means you're burning it from something to nothing. But he says, even that, even when you are consuming it and bringing it to a state of being consumed, it's still taking something and surrendering it to nothing, but there is still a, a memory of the something, even when it becomes a nothing. It's a, it's a something that became a nothing. So the nothingness is, abs, is not absolute nothingness, and because it's not absolute nothingness, it's not absolutely integrated in the infinite, in God's true, true self, because it still has a memory of the something, of the something that it once was. And that's not allowing it. That's kind of still keeping it connected and apart from being completely absorbed in the absolute oneness of Hashem. 
says, It's taking it out of the, the coarseness of the somethingness of a creation. For it to become absorbed. For it to become integrated in the nothingness of the godly light. And in general, in general, this is the bitter with self-sacrifice. In other words, it was their own, it wasn't so much they were grabbing other souls and offering it up, it was their own deep work, deep soul work that they were doing in themselves from overcoming their sense of self and surrendering themselves completely, devoting themselves completely to the point of total um, sacrifice to God. But it, was, and was, but it was that constant struggle from ego to complete, complete devotion. Of serious nefesh. When I say ego, I don't mean ego. I mean on the highest of levels, a little bit of something. They're rooted in the six. The reason there's 12 tribes is they're really rooted in the six directions of the world of Bria. And when you double them, they're 12 because there's blends connecting from north, east, south, west, and the various different connections which give you the different tribes. Um, which all of them are surrendered and absorbed in Malchus of Atzilus. In other words, they are the creation surrendering to the power of Creator that's creating them. What's the power of the Creator creating them? That's the Shekhinah called Malchus, as we spoke earlier. Malchus is the source of a creation because Malchus says there needs to be a world. So when they surrender back to Malchus, that's their bitl. It's to the creative life force that becomes the crown. In Kabbalah it says that, you know, there are ten spheres in Atzilus. Malchus is called the tail. It's the lowest. But Malchus, we said before, exists on two levels. First, she's the tail end of Atzilus. Then she filters and screens. And then she becomes the life force of the lower worlds. And the life force of the lower she becomes the crown of the lower worlds. She's the tail of the higher worlds, the end the end of the Malchus, but she's also the crown. That's what it means to Atik. Atik means from the, is related to crown of the world of Bria. So this is this mighty, inf- to, to, to the creations of Bria, Malchus is infinite. To Atzilus, Malchus is nothing. But to, 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 to creation, Malchus is the whole power in creation. It's an infinite power. So the, the work of the Shvatim is to surrender to Malchus of Atzilus, to that manifestation of God in Malchus of Atzilus. And that's why the Shvatim say to Yaakov, they rec- recognized the tribes, their infer- inferiority, not to Yosef, they recognized their inferiority to Yaakov. And they recognized how their level of spirituality and their level of recognition of God and surrender to God is very, very poor compared to their father Yaakov, who's on a whole different level. But they said, you know what, what you believe in and what you're experiencing, we have the same experience, but... On a on a on a on a on a on a much on a much lower scale. That's why they say when Yaakov was worried that maybe when he wants to bless them, it says, and the Shekhinah departed from them, he thought that there was something lie. He didn't want to bless them. He wanted to tell them the end of days. So at that time, the Shekhinah left him, and therefore he thought that there's something wrong with them. Maybe they're not completely loyal to Hashem. So he was suspicious. So they said to him, just like in your heart there's only one, in our hearts there's also only one. What they, simply it is, whatever you believe, we believe. But in Hasidus, every nuance is so, understand the nuances. 
They understand that they can't compare to the oneness that's in Yaakov's heart. He experiences God's oneness with a sharpness that they can't even imagine. So they said, what, what's in your heart with such sharpness is by us, also they're a little blurry, but we also see the oneness and we're also surrendered to the oneness. In as much as it's possible for us to experience as in a world of creation already, created consciousness. Just like there's only oneness in your heart, which is the higher unity, which the higher unity is the unity as it is in the world of Atzilus, the Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad unity. It's the absolute truth of the unity. The Yaakov of Yaakov Ba'atzilus Atzmai in the world of Atzilus, kach zotu ein belibeinu elachot. In our hearts there's also only one. Bebchenes vav k'tzav is debriya in the six directions. As we exist already in a created world where we can sense already the north, south, east, and west and up and down of creation. We can already sense more of the creation yet we recognize that it's all coming from one source and we're surrendering to it. Bebchenes yechudet it's the lower unity which we know the Zohar says that the Shema Yisrael is a higher unity, a sharper experience of oneness, in which we say Hashem Achad, God is the only one. Baruch Shem Kavod Machus Aleolam Vod, blessed is the name of His heavenly kingdom forever and ever, which we say after the Shema is, an interpre- is interpreting that oneness in a language that, that, uh, the, that, that creations can also handle, that doesn't burn us completely. Uh, Shema Yisrael is like acid, to, to, to creatures of a lower realm. It's too intense. But, but uh, this is already, you know, said in a softer way. As it is known, like it's stated, we say Friday night, just like in Atzilus, everything is unified with God. In the same exact manner, that all of them are unified, above, in perfect unity, in the world of Yaakov, in the world of Atzilus, everything is perfectly unified with Hashem. Oiv hachi, so too, ihi, she, is, is the feminine world, which is, as we spoke earlier, Shekhinah, she's the source of creations. Again, and creations are a thicker beings, denser, which are, which, with, with are lacking that fine consciousness of there's none but God. Yet we too, it says, what do we say? Here too there is... She's illuminated with unity. She too is unified. below in her throne, the Bria of the world of Bria, similar to the world of Atzilus, not perfectly the same, but in sync, so to speak. And this is what it says. And what the Shvatim try to do is they try to at least peek into the world of Atzilus from time to time and see the higher unity, and experience truth, as, tr- as they crave the experience of Atzilus, of the world of emanation, which is a deeper truth, even though it's not their lot. But they go up, up there from time to time, on the holidays, when God reveals himself, there's a much greater revelation, and then all of creation is absorbed into Hashem, on a much deeper level. So then the creatures of the world of, Atz- of Bria, have a, 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 a moment of clarity of the world of Atzilus. That's what it means. They ascend to the, to the world of Atzilus. That's what, we, that's what was represented by the day, the three pilgrimage holidays, all the 12 tribes of Israel, not just the sons of Yaakov, but their offspring, the 12, would ascend to the Holy Temple. And when they would go there, it means elevated consciousness into the higher unity. 
And that's also what, so that's what King David, David HaMelech says in Psalms, over there, to the world of Atzilus, is where the tribes who regularly are not in Atzilus consciousness rise up higher, the Mesiris Nefesh and their Mesiris Nefesh, and in their raising of feminine waters. We literally are bundling bundles. That's the work of the tribes. Now what happens after, as he said earlier, which is, it's capped because even after you achieve this, because it's coming from a, a consciousness, from a being who generally inhabits the world of Bria and therefore doesn't have such clarity in the unity of God, even when you're lifting the things around you into the unity, it's not yet into perfect unity. Even after the tribes have already purified, and they've become included, they themselves, and also all the stuff that they bring, all their sheaves that they bring with them, and they brought it into the nothingness. Now it needs to be re a second refinement. It goes through a second refinery. <clears throat> there is one level of refinement, then it goes up, upgraded to a much higher level of refinement. Now they have to ascend from the world of Bria to the world of Atzilus, Mamish. And that's called Mad, which is acronym for the word Mayan Duchren, masculine waters, Laman, that purifies the, the feminine waters. What does that mean? It's referring to the relationship of a man and a woman and their union. So the woman has what's called feminine waters, and then the man has masculine waters, which is together, joins together to create a child. So what does that mean? So for instance, so the one of the, here he doesn't discuss it, barichus, but a woman, she ovulates. So she creates the potential for the child. Now where does the ovulation, the egg that she produces, comes from the finest of the finest of the finest of the food that she ate. From the food that she eats, her body goes through and through a, a very strong um, refinery process, separating the good from the bad, all the leaving only literally like the, I don't know what exactly it's made out of this egg of ovulation of proteins, I'm not exactly sure, but really the purest of the pure, anything that's not very, very pure, anything that's got any tiny subtle whatever is doesn't, is not, it gets already ejected by the body, only the finest of the fine. But she can't, even with that egg, she can't create the child with it. You need sperm to, um, to uh, I don't know how do they call it, I'm not losing it right now, but um, to uh, activate that, that power. And so what, is that? so what does that mean? It's, so what that means is that as far as she can bring it to a state of purification, that it's ready to turn into a human being, it's ready to be processed, it's still lacking. She, she lifts it to a certain level of refinement. The man's um, sperm that, that is delivered is coming from the high also what has been refined from the food, but on a higher level, it's coming directly from his brain. That's the, that's the source of this uh, seminal drop. And that goes into the woman's egg that she had prepared and lifts it up and kind of 
through that marriage of the two of them, to the union of the two of them, does a higher level of, again, I'm not exactly, um, I can't tell you the science of it, the biology of it on a physical scale because I haven't studied it, but this is the way it is according to the, in the spiritual realm, and it must reflect also in the physical, how, what, where, and when. This needs, uh, you can do your own research. But the, it's what it's really doing is, is that it's adding a purification to a whole different level. And only through that is it making possible for a full-fledged human being to be created. So that's spiritually the same thing. All the sparks of holiness that we elevate, being that we're all derivatives of the feminine world of Malchus, it's all preparing that egg, so to speak. It's all preparing that godly potential egg which could create new life, but it will only be ready to be activated if after we do our work, God delivers from above a higher level of infusion of truth. Our truth, when we bring things to truth, to unity, but then our truth has to be upgraded to a godly truth. It needs a truth coming from above and to, envelop, to permeate whatever we've done and bring it up to a much purer place. And that's coming from Yosef, as he's going to say. If he prinas mad, and that's the Mayan duchr, the masculine waters, shemavadar laman, that purifies the feminine waters. Bitter sheni, the second rect, second purification. Acha shekvar niver haman after the feminine waters have already been purified. Kamashikasmakamachar, as stated elsewhere. Shazau lamaid lamaprinas ayin shalayesh bilvad. That is, it's what it does is it absorbs. The nothing comes down to absorb the something that became nothing and to make it much into a much deeper nothing. It's so funny when we learn this. Only in Hasidic terminology is the ultimate state is the state of nothingness, which is again, because then it's a state of absolute potential. It's not divine. That's the divine. That's godly. It's not this or that. It's not fixed with any parameters. So when you have something that's surrendering itself to nothing, since it's a something that's putting itself to nothing, even its nothingness is not real nothingness. It still has a trace of the something in it, as we said before, a memory of the something. So it can't really be absorbed in God until true nothingness comes and lifts it up. That's the idea. Um, he says over here, There is the yesh, the something. And the something turns itself into nothing. But that's the nothing of the something. That's not real nothing. There's levels in nothing. But rather, now that it gets an infusion from higher, what does it do? This level, this absorption, is something that is essentially nothing. What does that mean? Something that is an energy that's in a state of absolute recognition that there's none but him, which is only Hashem himself. Moshe Moshe was on that higher level. Moshe was a masculine soul. It wasn't a feminine soul. The feminine souls are all those that are living in something and struggling to break out of the something to nothingness. A masculine soul, in terms of the deeper dynamics, is a soul that is still in the realm of the divine. And he's a projector of this nothingness. Like Moshe says, and we, him and his brother Aaron, are what? This week we learned Moshe is born. So even though the mimer is about Yosef, we got Moshe as the example over here. 
Moshe is the personification of this deeper, higher, masculine nothingness. He says about himself, we are what? Mamash, he's on a level of real what? Kamoshu be'etzam as it is essentially. Because when a something surrenders itself to nothing, it's only reaching a nothing compared to the something. But it's not real nothingness. It, that's called the ayin shel hayesh, the nothing of the something. Bilvat kidu as it is though. So now comes the second rectification, which is Yosef's rectification. is to elevate to elevate that which has already been purified and it's already stationed in the higher realms of the world of Bria, to elevate it into really into atzilus, atzilus mamish for it to be high-grade quality bittel, for it to be able to be absorbed and literally in the world of Atsilos, this is the second rectification. To purify you, and to unify, the lower unity, which is already unity. It's already, she's a, that which has already become unified with the throne of God. But even the throne of God is already potential for creation, so it's not real the real deeper level of nothingness of, of Hashem. So from the throne, it has to go higher. And this is the meaning of, as he continues in the next paragraph, sheaves stood up. After you finish sheaving your sheaves, my sheaves stood up. Yosef is also involved in connecting and unifying the separate entities. And it's also called sheaves. Parallel and similar to the sheaves of the tribes. But his echad, his string that he's putting around them, is a much higher string of unity. His unity of God is on an infinitely deeper level than theirs. But not like the attachment and the unification of the something that is utterly separated mamish. Like the sheaves of the tribes, which is from the world of separation, which is still, which is the level that a, a limited being can come. Rather, what Yosef does, they took and they made from yesh from something ayin nothing. He takes that that ayin and he makes it reprocesses it into real I and real nothingness. Because he takes even their, their state of surrender and their state of ayin to a much level. He unifies it and elevates it to to the higher unity. The Atzilus Mamish, literally of the consciousness of the world of Atzilus. Because compared to the higher unity of the world of Atzilus, Atzmai, Compared to the true level of purity of the higher unity, the, the lower unity of the world of Bria is still called somethingness. In other words, even though in the world of Bria, that's like, wow, total surrender, total devotion, total mysterious navish, from the eyes of the world of Atsilas, it's coarse, it's dense. It's still considered something that is separated. 
מפני שאין ערך לבחינס עין של היש. There is no comparison between the ayin, the nothingness of the shalayesh anifrad, of the something that is separated, anifrad mamish, that is literally separated. So even when it's like, thinks it achieves real bittel, legabe ayna atzmi, it has no comparison to something that is essentially nothing. The atzilus of the world of atzilus the Iyu V'chiyuchad, because over there he and his emanations are completely one. V'zeo Gamken, and we can also see it in the Siddur. In the Siddur, we have Baruch Shem Kavod Machusa Le'olam Va'ed, which is a statement of the lower unity, as we spoke earlier, and which is the, the level of consciousness of Malchus of Atzilus, that it's, it claims that everything is God's kingdom, but everything is surrendered to God's kingdom. But then there is the Dalit of the word Echad, which is also, Dalit is Malchus, Malchus is called Dal, and it's a large Dalit, and it's part of Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Echad. So what's the, that's Malchus. What's the difference between Malchus of Baruch Shem Kavod Machus and Malchus of Echad? Difference is like this. Baruch Shem Kavod Machus is Malchus as it's already dipping into the lower world. It becomes a source of creation. So even the unity is also not such a clear unity. It's a blurry unity. The Dalet of Echad is Malchus when she's still in Atzilus and still attached to the consciousness of Atzilus. Then it's Echad. Then the Dalet is in that unity completely much higher than the Baruch Shem Kavod Machus Olam So that's Yosef's job to take from the Baruch Shem and absorb it higher into the Dalet. That's the idea. The large Dalet of the word Echad. Which is Malchus da Atzilus ba Atzilus Atzmoi, while she's still in Atzilus, Shalomayla, which is way above, Mepchenas Malchus, from Malchus, Shenasek Atik Yoim and Labria, which becomes the crown, the ancient of days, to the world of Bria, which is Baruch Shem Kavod Machusa Leoilam Vod, which is blessed as the name of his heavenly kingdom. Everything is God's kingdom, it's only his kingdom, but it's still, it's a kingdom which represents the idea that there are other things. Yes, they're surrendered. Yes, they're all about the king, but there's still something else. Which is considered a lower unity. And it's for that reason that the, 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 the bundles of the tribes bowed with a second surrender to Yosef's bundle, to Yosef's sheaf. Because the sheaves recognized that his sheev is way above theirs, and they were hoping to attach themselves, that he can lift them up into their world. Because the root of Yosef, his soul root, unlike all his brothers, he is his consciousness, and that means his soul root is from Atzilus itself, and he was able to feel that. Not only is he from Atzilus, but he's not even from Malchus. He's from the masculine element of Yesod, Yosef, we know, is the sixth sphere, which is Yisoyed. Shanikra Kol, which is called everything, because in him, as we're soon going to see in the Mimer, flows all the lights of Atzilus, flow into his Neshama, and his soul needs to be the one who connects that downward into Malchus, and via Malchus into the lower world. He's the infusion of energy downward. And that's why... Uh, like it says, 
which represents the element of Yesod, that is connecting Shamayim, which is Atzilus, and Oretz, which is creation, and Kol bonds them both. But Kol is still in the world of Atzilus. The Ochid Bishmai Ve'ari holds on to heaven and earth. Later in the Maimah, this will be discussed at greater length. Upchenas Malchus Ta'atzilus Shebebriya. And the Malchus of Atzilus that's in the world of Bria, which is the source of the 12 tribes, Kesha'oyla Ba'atzilus, when it goes up Ta'atzilus, Nasis Nekuda Ta'chas Yisoyed, surrenders herself completely in front of Yisod. Yisod is her husband, the masculine light, the projection of higher truth, Malchus of Atzilus, when she rises in Atzilus, recognizes her utter inferiority to this incredible godly revelation in Atzilus, and therefore she becomes a tiny little dot of deep, deep surrender, hoping that he will unify with her and elevate her into his unity. And that's the reason why, just like Malchus of Atzilus bows down to her husband's light, that's the idea, so she's completely surrendering, hoping that he will lift her up into his world, into his perspective. So, so too, their sheaves bow down to Yosef's sheaves. The same idea. And this is the idea that the sheaves of the tribes bow down in a state of complete surrender in front of Yosef's sheave so that he can lift them up into his unity. But this that it says regarding Yosef's sheave, that it seems like it wasn't like his was always standing. His was also lying down in the field. Then his stood up, and it stood strong, it says, and then they all bowed down to him. Now, it seems like his sheave was also in the field like all the rest of the bundles, which, which, which that doesn't make any sense. Because we understand the 12 tribes, what they're doing in the field. The field, we explained earlier, is the arena, the stadium of Malchus. They are the, the, like the 12 uh, chariot, the 12 beasts in the chariot of Malchus. So they're belonging, they're the, they're, the, they're the root of all creations, and they're in the created realm, so they're in the field. But Yosef doesn't belong in the field, he's way above the field. So why does it say that his sheep was also in the field? So he explains over here. Because Yesoid of Atzilus also descends, just like Malchus of Atzilus descends lower, Yesoid of Atzilus also descends down into the lower worlds to do purifications and rectifications. And that's the idea that we sometimes have tzaddikim that are not neshamis of Bria, they're neshamis of Atzilus, so they belong to the world of Atzilus. Tzaddik is called tzaddik because of Yesoid, tzaddik Yesod Olam. These are neshamis from the world of Bria, especially neshamis from Yesod. And they come down into the world and they also help out in the world of purifying the world even though they're way above it. So that's why you have Yosef also being, and you see, Yosef was in Egypt. He was collecting all the money in Egypt, Saran, collecting sparks. So you see that there is an element of Yosef of Atzilus also descending. But that's not his main work. His main work is the brothers do the main work of the sparks. They bring it to him and then he elevates it in Tatzilus. But he also descends. Then it stood up. Because the Yesoid Zah of Yesoid Rampin also does a bitter in Bria. However, it stands up. It stands up in Atzilus literally. Like we know the Alter Rebbe, for instance, Neshama Vatzilus. Yet the Alter Rebbe also ate food. The famous story that when he ate, he ate the bagel. <laughs> 
So it's, the Rebbe Rashab talks about that the bagel the Alter Rebbe ate was not, he, he ate Atzilus. Because it was when he lifted something up from this world, it was a direct line to Atzilus, because he's in a different realm. It's in Rashab. Vegam Nitzava, and it stood up, Sheshar he's explaining the deeper meaning of, it stood up, Vegam Nitzava. So Nitzava is, it stands up, and then it goes even higher. So what's that? So he says, because Yosef, even though he's the Yesod of Zeir Anpin, enclosed in him is a much higher level of Yesod, Yesod of Chachma. You see, Zeir Anpin is considered male. Chachma is also considered male. Much higher. Adam Elion, it's a much greater man. Zeir Anpin is really much smaller. So the Yesod of, of, of Abba, of Chachma, is enclosed in the Yesod of Yosef. Which is, and therefore, when it says, "Kama," it stood up. The gam nitzava, and and is also standing, is referring in atzilus itself to the bittel of chachma, which is even way above the the, the level of yesod itself. and that's the idea that it's sandik raises, grows up very very high katamar, reaches the highest highest levels in bittel itself. As it is known, I didn't get a chance to check that up. As it is known in the idea when it talks about in the laws of Shabbos of a someone that is missing a leg and he he has a I forgot what they call it um, a a um, it's synthetic I forgot what they call this this these this like extended leg that's not really his leg. He's allowed to walk out with it with this crutch on on uh, on Shabbos. Um, so from in this thing is Marumis, this idea that in Yesod there is an investment of a higher Yesod. I would have to look it up in the stores to be able to explain this. The Yesod of Chachma that is in the Yesod of Zerab. And it's also connected, again, this is a mystery to me when I learned it. And I didn't have the books with me on the plane to uh, figure this out. It says also regarding Hanina Bini, which is the tzaddik, it is enough for him bekav. Again, it uses kav, and in that kav, somehow, again, I don't know what it is. Now, when the shvatim bow down to Yosef, who, when they actually come, what do they do? Not just their sheaves, they themselves. Again, the sheaves was an indication that they have to surrender to Yosef. Um, but which basically all of this is also teaching us regarding the concept of the difference between the work of regular Jews and a Rebbe. That's why the whole, the whole Hasidic idea is that there is a Rebbe and this Hasidim, and the, the Hasid never dreams of being a Rebbe. It's a whole different realm. And he knows as high as he can take his service, he surrenders himself to the Tzaddik because he knows the Tzaddik elevates his service to a much higher place. And therefore the bowing of the Shvatim is literally face down or it's on the ground in front of Yosef's feet. Similar to what it says. Why? Because since the Shvatim are branches of Malchus and when Malchus rises, she rises in Atzilus and then she becomes a Nekuda, total bittel in front of Yisod, as we said earlier, Nekuda Tachas Yisod. And we find this idea in the Megillah as it says when Esther comes before Achashverosh. In this case, Achashverosh don't see him as the Persian king, but see him as God. Achras Vereshis Shalom. 
And like as the says in the Medrash, the beginning and the reason is called Achashverosh, the beginning and the end is all to him. So it's referring to the masculine levels of the divine. Esther is the Shekhinah. She falls in front of his feet. Same idea, like the Shvatim have to fall in front of Yosef's feet. Like it was fulfilled, this dream in Egypt. They fell before it. This only explains the first dream. In the first dream of Yosef, the Ma'almim Alumim, when they were sheaving sheaves, this is only the work of his brothers, of the tribes. In this first dream, Yaakov wasn't mentioned, because Yaakov is higher than Yosef. Yosef is Yesod, and Yaakov is Teferis. And Teferis is a higher, much higher um, um, attribute than Yesod. Yaakov is the fairest of Atzilus. He doesn't have to bow to Yosef. He's above Yosef. Kido as it is known. But in the second dream, there he saw already the sun and the moon bowing down to him. And the 11 stars. And 11 stars. bowing to So what's going on? So now he's explaining because the second dream the first dream was what was going to happen throughout history. All the tribes, they need to connect to Yosef through their work, and when they complete it, he comes and tops their work off. He crowns their work. But when we complete everything, and everything and everything is done, the whole project is done, then Yosef ascends even higher to the source of Yosef. Until now, it's the first source, the source of Atzilus. Yosef goes up to his quintessential source, way, way, way above, where he transcends even Yaakov, even his father and, and his mother. He's the source of everything. And on that level, and that's when the tribes are also elevated. Everybody's elevated. The tribes are elevated to be called, no, no they're not sitting on planet Earth sheaving sheaves. They're spectacular stars in the sky. And the superstars of the world, which in that time the, Jew, the whole world would recognize the Jewish people are the superstars, literally stars. But yet, the stars, the sun and the moon, Yaakov and, and the moon is Rachel or even Leah, whatever it is, are all bowing to Yosef. So this understands that even Teferis of Atzilus is now recognizing the superiority of Yosef. As he's going to explain. At the conclusion of all the rectifications. The Achavis brothers, and then they're called stars. Or like sparkling stars, that sparkle. And the sun and the moon, who is the power of Yaakov, which is the power of 45, the power of the masculine light, the general flow of energy in Atzilus, of Zeiranpin, especially Teferis, is Yudke Vavke, which Yudke Vavke is Gematria 45. Uban is the power of the moon, is the name of 52, also Yudke Vavke, but the 50, Yudke Vavke, as it, as it manifests, excuse me, in Malchus, which is called 52, the Yaakov and Rachel, and Yaakov and Rachel, Oy Leia, or rather, or maybe Leia, Gamke, Mishtach and Leia, are also bowing to him. That when they heard that he's thinking of himself, such grandeur, not only his brothers, but even his father will bow down to him. They hated him. They couldn't stand him. Because they thought he's a, he's, he's a kook. He's a dreamer. And his father also yelled at him. Will I come? What do you mean? Who do you think you are? Me and, my mo- and your mother to bow down to you? 
Yet Yaakov, however, knew that there's truth to Yosef. He knew he's a prophet. What does it say? His father was waiting for this. Because this is going to happen only really when Mashiach will come. And Yaakov was waiting. This is, this is the source of waiting for Mashiach. And the, everything that... Sh- one of our avodos we have in Golos is to wait for Mashiach. But we know that everything we have has to come from the fathers. So where do we have in Yaakov's life waiting for Mashiach? He was waiting. Rashi says, He was waiting like, with, I couldn't. When would this happen already? Now, in the story, in the, it had to play itself out also in the prophecy of not just the distant future, but also in the near future when Yosef said it, that in the end, when Yaakov came, Yaakov also bowed down to him. So the dream was fulfilled. But really, the true meaning of Yaakov bowing down is a futuristic thing, and he's going to explain it in this piece. The Indian who and the idea is as follows. Even though we said till now that the root of Yosef is the power of Yesod, of the world of Atzilus, but really in truth, Yosef's neshama is rooted much higher in the, in, in the deepest in the deepest dimensions of Keter of Crown. The Shoresh Yosef, and in Adam Kadmon, in the primordial man. The Shoresh Yosef, the root of Yosef, the new name, the, the name Mahachodosh, I always struggle with this idea why it's called Chodosh. The, 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 the name Ma, it's called new. The that Kabbalistically is associated with the forehead of Adam Kadmon, which we know is the root of the world of Tikkun. In Adam Kadman, there's different emanations. And first was emanated the world of Tohu, source of the world of Tohu. And then is the world of Tikkun. And we know that Tikkun rectifies Tohu. Now the whole source of Tikkun is from the power of Memhe, the power of, of, um, which, of, of 45, the power of Memhe, that is emanating from the forehead of Adam Kadman. And that's, the source, Yaakov is the personification of the name of 45, the name of Teferis, synthesis, and, 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 and harmony, and, and integration, and perfect unity of lights and vessels. That's the symbol of the world of Tikkun, where everything harmonizes. Yaakov is that energy, but the potential for Yaakov and the power for Yaakov is really Yosef's neshama, because he begins this... This, the first emergence of the powers of Tikkun is in the power of Yosef. And that's why we know that Yosef is mystically associated with the eighth king of the seven kings of Esav, and where they, it says, the king of Edom, ancient kings of Edom, where they reigned and they died, and they reigned and they died, which according to mystical interpretation is referring to the seven kings of the world of Tohu. That, had, uh, that were too intense and they collapsed. But the eighth one doesn't say that he died. And it says the eighth one, that's the, that's the connector which ends the world of Tohu and begins, lays the seeds and the roots for the world of Tikkun, which are the, the Jewish experience. So Yosef is that quintessential beginning of the Jewish experience at the deepest, highest level, higher than the forefathers even, higher than... And that's why Yosef was so good-looking because the eighth king, his name was Hadar. Hadar means beauty, and so on and so forth. Splendor. Which is the very beginning and root of Tikkun de Yaakov. Virachel. Yaakov and Rachel. 
In other words, he is the source of all the kelam of Atzilus, of the, all the parts of Atzilus, which is this, a perfect unification of lights and vessels, which include both the lights and the vessels of the masculine and the lights and the vessels of the feminine, which is Shema and Ban, and therefore both bow down to him. And he's the element of the of Hadar, which is the eighth king. That's why he was so splendid looking. But another thing is, the whole idea is that he stops this madness, this extremism of the world of Tohu, and he kind of begins the process of Tikkun. Now Tohu, we know, is the source of the nations. And that's why there's such extreme war-torn elements. There's such... Uh, the, the idea of the, 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 the extremism, which were always plagued the 70 nations, and not war and strife and animosity and hatred because of these different factures and in, these, the clashes of the world of Tohu. And then we know eventually Tikkun will dominate over it, and that's Mashiach. But Yosef is the one that reigns in the nations for the first time. And that's why literally, physically in this world, it was reflected in his life. First of all, he was good-looking, as we said before, because the eighth king is the one that transitions from Tohu to Tikkun, and he's called Hadar. Number two, Yosef was actually a king over the Gentiles. We had Jewish kings, but Yosef was a Jewish king over the Gentiles. And he was laying the seeds for the ultimate Jewish kingdom, which is not from the tribe of Joseph, tribe of Yehuda, but yet... Um, it will be a, a, a kingdom over the nations. Where is it all really coming from? From Yosef. As he says, He was the na- king over nations, which are from the world of Tohu, to bring them into Tikkun. Which somewhere else explains the idea of to sustain you. Hashem sent me. What exactly, in what context does he want to take that over here? I don't know, because I didn't look up that other place. Vinikra ben Pores, as we said earlier, he's called the son of Charm, which is also Tofer. Again, the, the, these next few lines, again, I needed, I, I, I was another place that I didn't get. Vinikra Avrech, and he's also called Avrech, Makora Malchus, source of Malchus. Now, why he's emphasizing Dafka, the source of Malchus? He's the source of, he said earlier, Ma as well. I'm not exactly sure. Shenikra Rach. Malchus is called Rach. That's why Av Reich, the father of Reich. Kamoi Reich um Moshech Melech, which is the idea of kingdom. Kadehoya Av Lepare, we see physically in his life, Paro says to him, you're my father, even though he was under Paro's rule, but Paro calls him, I made you an Av Paro, a father to Paro. Paro was kingship, and he was above him. Vegamli Yosef Chines Makor Kola Yesoides, he's also the source of all elements. Shenikro Baruch, Again, I don't know what this all means in this little passage here. But all of this is indicating on the sublime level of Yosef that even as the sun and the moon was bowing down to him, that's why his father was guarding this because he knew there's going to be a time when the true Yosef is going to reveal himself. Yosef in his source of sources, because the kingdom... now. His father was waiting for Yosef to become king and he can bow down to him. And that literally happened in Egypt. But that was a little foreteller. That was a little, um, 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 what you might call, a preview 
of the Jewish empire, of kingdom of the Jewish people, it's going to be after Mashiach comes, which is going to be a global kingdom. It was a, a little bit, a little a preview of the future. That all the nations are going to be converted. Safa Bruro, all in one tongue. Because he see that Yosef was the one supporting them all. He was giving them seeds to plant. You see, he had a deep impact on them. The idea of Yahapach, to convert them. He, he circumcised them. Now, circumcision is really a Jewish thing. Why is he circumcising them? When Mashiach will come, we discussed this, it says that nations will attach themselves to the Jewish people. So Yosef began that process because he's the power of this, of this, um, of the, the source of Tikkun. Eventually, Tikkun rules over the whole world, over the world of Tohu. This is the meaning of Tiyana, all of this, that's why when Yaakov finally blesses Yosef, he says, let all this come to the head of Yosef, and to the skull, Nazir Echav, the one that separated from his brothers. You see that Yaakov recognizes him as the head of his brothers. When he calls him Rosh Yosef, he doesn't mean the head of Yosef. He means Yosef, who is the head, the head of the tribes. And separated from his brothers. On a whole level, way above them. As we, from the reason mentioned above. And just like the, all the purifications happening in the limbs of the body, which the body, a human body, is constantly a purifier. What does that mean? It takes in, it's a consumer, it takes in elements of the outside, whether it's oxygen, whether it's food, and the like. It processes it, separates the good from the bad, integrates it into the nutrition of the body, becomes nutrition for the body, becomes part of the body, into the blood, into the bones, into the flesh, and so on and so forth. But as much as things are purified when they go into all the limbs, it, it's still considered unpurified for it to be integrated in, into the actual head and into the brain. From there it needs to be, go through purification after purification. So this is the idea that after they all the tribes finish their purifications, it goes up to Yosef. When they go up to the head. That's where life is in a much deeper level. And he includes them, all of them together. Two things. He's their source, and also he includes them. Because all the different features that there are in the tribes, each one with their own quality, each one with their own unique um, talents, they're first, they're like the, the, the unique individuality of every organ and limb in the body. Each one has its own talent, each one has its own ability, but yet they're all, they're all sourced in the brain. And over there, that's just one. You don't have in the brain hands and feet and all these things. It's one brain, but, but it has within it the potential for all the limbs. All this that the light and the energy has later divided in the limbs. Whatever is on the right side, all the smile and what is on the left side, the emtsan in the middle, First, it's all included in the head. is on a much deeper level. and integrated from all of them together. Well, is that dafka? Therefore, we find When Yaakov finishes all the tribe, he turns to Yosef. The Yaakov and the rectification shall call echad ma'ashvatim of all the tribes. Whatever they're going to accomplish until the days of Mashiach, like you see clearly by Yehuda, he's talking about what's going to be in the end of days, the days of Mashiach. 
He takes whatever we do and does our extra rectification and And he includes them all. He concludes, the only thing I was wondering is because Binyamin is stated after Yosef. So why is that? If, if, if all the tribes, and Yosef is the sum total, so why is Binyamin? And Binyamin is one of the animals, he's like the wolf that does the... The, the first beer, not exactly sure. Because he is the new name of 45 of Adam Kadman. And afterwards, Yaakov is even saying the, 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 the power of Yaakov to emanates comes from Yosef. From there, is nurtured the stone of Israel, the rock of Israel. Is bechinus makara tikkun. He's the source of tikkun v'dailamiv. Okay, I was planning to go further. In the next piece, he's going to explain the love affair that Yaakov has with with Rachel. Why is Yaakov so obsessed with Rachel Davka? Why the entire sum totality of Yaakov's life is deeply devoted to Rachel, and why Yosef takes her place in Yaakov's objective in Yaakov's whole life. Once we understand the difference between Yosef and the tribes, we're going to get to that. I thought I'm going to manage, but my eyes are closing on me. So this is as far. I was going to go another, at least another hour and a half. So maybe we will finish next week, Thursday. We'll see. Meanwhile, let the merit of the Alter Rebbe be here for all of us. May we already see the completion of all the labor of the Jewish people and Yosef come and top it off. L'chaim and everyone. Only good.